Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. On today's show, Ben Elwood and I continue our Deep Dive Director series as we dip into one of my favourite movies of all time, David Lynch's Lost Highway. My name is Justin Hamilton, and I want you to know that Dick Laurent is dead, here on Big Squid. Hello, and thank you very much for joining me on today's podcast. I've been looking forward to this episode since we decided we were going to delve into the world of David Lynch, as Lost Highway is one of my all-time favourite movies. Absolutely. Has been in my top five for a long time. So, uh, some movies come in, some movies drift away, but Lost Highway has been in that top five for well over two decades now. So I'm very excited to talk about this. I love everything about it from the use of audio. I love the acting. I love the way it looks. I love the soundtrack. I just love everything about it, and I hope you enjoy it too. It's always been a bit of an inspiration of me to maybe one day uh, create something uh, in uh, not necessarily like this story, but something that makes me feel the way this movie makes me feel and uh, uh, we might have something uh, that uh, ticks that box and um, yeah I'll get to that in a sec. Uh, Before we dig into everything, a big thank you to everyone who came to my gig in Adelaide last week. It was a great turnout, like a really good packed audience. I had a lot of fun at the Rhino Room. Uh, I worked out it was only my eighth gig for the year. I've really dialed it down, and so getting on stage, having such a switched-on audience where I could take my time with some stuff, I could really go through some of the new ideas that I had and really explore them, really discuss them, really play around with the jokes, bring back a few words that we haven't heard in a long time. If you were in Adelaide, you know what I'm talking about. Maybe I won't say it here, 
probably a bit confronting to hear that word here. And it's not even that rude, but it is kinda. Well, that's a little bit gross, but kind of funny as well. Anyway, you had to be there to know uh, exactly what I'm talking about at this moment, but that's what it was like. It was such a treat to uh, be back performing in my old hometown. And, uh, you know, it felt like it was 40, 45 minutes on stage for me, and it ended up being 70. I only know that because I recorded it and uh, (laughs) was blown away. It really, really felt... uh, very quick, and I listening back to it, I, I feel like I could make a few tweaks. Maybe I accidentally have a new show. Maybe. So if I do, maybe we'll take it to Melbourne and do a one-off down there and maybe uh, see if we can do a one-off here in Sydney as well. Uh, you know, let me know if you'd like me to see if I can bring it up to your city as well. I'd love to do more performing and I I just kind of like having all that space to be able to as I said dig into the ideas really really have a proper opportunity to explore them to their nth degree Uh, it was also great to spend time with some big squid listeners and hearing your thoughts not just on the podcast but all the stuff we've been chatting about uh, well here and uh, you know the stuff that you've been listening to and the things you've been watching the things you've been thinking Uh, big shout out to Monica who brought me some very thoughtful and lovely gifts. They are fantastic. I particularly like the T-shirt. T-shirt's very cool. Uh, Very much ticks uh, a nice box for me. Uh, So that was great, and uh, I really appreciate that. And uh, to my friend Kylie, like, Kylie listens to Big Squid, but Kylie and I have also been friends for well over two decades. And, well, I'm... Kylie, I'm sorry you've discovered that maybe you're not the fan of David Lynch that you thought you were, but as I said, hang in there. You've got Lost Highway, you've got The Straight Story, you've got Mulholland Drive. Maybe they'll be the three to pull you back from the edge. Come on, Kylie. You can do it. And just to make sure... (laughs) Anyway, no need to bring up that old song. Um... This Thursday, our next podcast is a brand new Beautiful Tales for the Disenchanted. That's right, the storytelling segment I'm producing with audio genius Sean Allen. We've only had one episode up so far, and if you missed it, uh, head back to episode 41. It's a story called King Hamster. And uh, what I'm doing with this is I I love anthology stories. I I love those kinds of TV shows. I love those comics. I love those books. And what I want to do with this is I want to create stories for you that are one-offs. And then we have some plans for further down the track. But we want to start off with just giving you these one-off tales. And this week, we have a murderous tale entitled Squeak, about two clowns trapped at the bottom of a rubbish tip with a dead body. And Sean sent me the final version today. And, uh, oh... It was grimy and it was creepy and it's funny as well, but there's a lot going on. And look, when you listen to it, can I make a suggestion? I reckon with your headphones on or your earphones, eyes closed, preferably in the dark, because Sean has layered the audio and it is funny, it's creepy, it's everything I wanted it to be and more. So as I said, I have big plans for Beautiful Tales down the road and we're just getting started. So please check out the podcast this Thursday to hear our new beautiful tales for the disenchanted. Uh, 
Uh, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, you might not be aware that everyone who signs up to our Patreon has an episode dedicated to them. And today's shout out goes to Matthew Thurban, one of the OG Big Squid subscribers. And the last interaction that Matthew and I had was uh, he was thanking me for uh, getting him to watch Under the Skin. Do you remember that, Matt? That was fun. That was one of Ben's and my favourite science fiction films from this century. And I'm so glad that you uh, uh, finally got around to watching it and that you enjoyed it. And uh, Matt, I hope you get as much out of today's latest David Lynch film. In fact, I reckon I could imagine doing a double feature of these movies and having a really interesting night discussing both of them afterwards. Uh, They're very different films, but... I don't know, it's funny, isn't it? Films can be so different, but they can sort of still be somewhere on the same spectrum. So, uh, Matthew, thank you for your support, and I really hope you enjoy today's podcast. If you'd like to sign up to our Patreon, which has bonus podcasts, scripts for all the episodes, I do a lot of research for these episodes in particular, and the Space Podacy episodes, so if you miss stuff, you can go back through the scripts and you can find all that info. Uh, If all of that sounds like it might interest you, please head over to patreon.com forward slash Justin Hamilton underscore Big Squid and you will find a tier that suits you. And uh, with the uh, short story this week, I should have added this before, but with the short story this week, I'm going to put it up at bigsquidpod.com. Uh, I, that's where I put my regular blog, which is um, Dispatches from the Fury Road. And uh, we, we might do something different this week. We'll, we'll put up the beautiful tales for the Disenchanted story so you can read along with that as well. Okay, let's leave the safety of the podcast and meet Fred Madison, a jazz musician who is tortured by the notion that his wife Renee is having an affair. Meanwhile, a young mechanic called Pete is drawn into a world of violence and deceit by a woman called Alice, who is cheating on her gangster boyfriend. Somehow, these two men are linked and must together survive the journey down the lost highway. We've met before, haven't we? I don't think so. At your house, don't you remember? No, I don't. As a matter of fact, I'm there right now. That's crazy, man. Call me. I like that. I think there's no such thing as a bad coincidence. I like to remember things my own way, not necessarily the way they happened. Someone broke in and taped us while we slept. Is that you? Are both of them you? We have to get out of here. Why didn't you tell me anything? It's been a pleasure talking to you. If I ever found out somebody was making out with her. He'll kill us. I told you I was here. What'd you do then? Ask me. (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk about this grotty, grotty film, which is also my favourite. 
David Lynch film. Right. Is it your favourite because it's the grottiest of them all? I um, I I think it is uh, a number of things. I, I don't think it was because it was grotty. I never really <laughs> thought of it. Once again, re-watching these films, the way we've been watching them, I'm watching them with a different view because we're watching them in sequential order as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That kind of speaks to something different. Uh, you know, the first question I have here is, when did you first experience Lost Highway? And I, I guess I'll just kind of roll with it because, yeah, yeah. you know, from what you just asked me. But the... The fact is that I saw this after uh, w- when it was first released mm. at the old uh, Nova Cinemas in Adelaide. 96? 96, 97, yeah, when, yeah, when, yeah, whenever yeah. it came out. And uh, I had it written down somewhere. And uh, I was still Lynch curious <laughs> after the Fire Walk With Me debacle, which I... I did not enjoy that film on uh, at the cinema at all, yeah. and I subsequently had not watched anything of Lynch's since that moment. But that Lost Highway came out, and I was still okay. Well, might as well go and check it out. And so I kind of had no idea what I was getting into when I went into the cinema, <laughs> and then I sat down and was gobsmacked at it. Uh, started with one of my favourite David Bowie tracks from, the, from 1995, from the Outside album. You know, it's <laughs> very... most Scott Walker. Yeah. I thought it was Scott Walker to begin with. Absolutely. Yeah. It is 100% him <laughs> channeling his love of Scott Walker. Uh, if you listen to the lyrics, it's him using the Burroughs technique and it's all... Cut uh, up. It's all cut up. And it's also... Um, there's there's layers to the song like when you really listen to it like not on a soundtrack but if you listen to it on your headphones there are layers upon layers upon layers mm. of vocal that mm. are all the way down Brian Eno who worked with Bowie on the album said that part of what made them work was Eno's a minimalist by nature and Bowie's a painter so he wants to put on layers so they're mm. always pushing and pulling against each other of cool. what they want from a song uh, that album, when it came out, was, you know, once again, I've talked about this, but Bowie was derided in the 90s, you know. Yeah. The uh, the NME review of this album was hilarious. In it was, you know, because it's kind of like a non-linear concept album. But they, I, I think one of the things is people had kind of forgotten that Bowie had a sense of humour at this point. Mm. So the, there's a lot of stuff that is... You know, it's it, the story is about the art ritual murder of a of a character called Baby Grace Blue, and it sounds like an uglier version of Twin Peaks with a detective in Oxford Town trying to find who murdered the young girl. And it's got all it's got bits of dialogue. Was you know it it was murder, but was it art? You know, it's all very <laughs> tongue in cheeks. You know, Sam Spade pastiche. Yeah. But the enemy review was like blah 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 concept album blah 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 here comes bowser you know very dismissive and uh so what i loved was uh i was a big fan of the album and specifically uh the the music was uh very much had a texture to it and it was kind of the first time that i'd really thought about the upcoming end of the millennium and that's kind of what it was tapping into it was that end of millennium angst it was that uncertainty about what was going to be occurring next and so when the movie started specifically on that song 
I felt like I was locked in on the wavelength. Like, you know, when you hear something, you go, oh, I get where this movie's going. So you had all of this knowledge of what that kind of, the weight of this song and the meaning behind it before you saw the movie. So uh, you brought a lot of that narrative to the opening credits. Absolutely. Yeah, right. And so between the image of the uh, of the highway and the darkness of it mm. and that song, I felt like I had tapped into where this movie was going, even though I had no idea what the movie was about, <laughs> right from the get-go. And yeah. to me, it felt very much like the first 21st century horror film mm, I had seen. Mm, yeah, right. And, I, and you know, th- this movie did not get good reviews and no, did not didn't. do well at the box office. Yeah. And I don't give a shit. I reckon it's a fucking masterpiece. Did you love it? The, yeah, no, <laughs> did, you, did you love it the first time you saw it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. I was blown away. I was, I was tapped in to exactly whatever it was that was going on. I don't necessarily mm. mean I walked out of there and could have given you a firm opinion on what I'd experienced, Mm-mm. but uh, emotionally it mainframed right into my yeah, psyche wow. and I was I was totally in. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. I think I have a harder uh, relationship with this movie. Um, I can't say I love it, but I love... I definitely love aspects of it. Yeah. Like really love aspects of it. Yeah. And there's, and there's bits in it that I think is the best stuff in Lynch's filmography. Yeah. It's a fascinating film. <laughs> yeah. And it's also, it, it feels in many ways like, you know, once again, I don't, I don't normally like starting off uh, our podcast by saying, you know, uh, what do you think this movie is about? But I think this is such a unique experience that we can kind of, break with convention here yeah, a yeah, little yeah. bit. Um, wh- sorry, when did you first see this film? Uh, to be honest, I'm not sure I remember the first time. It must have been a few years ago when I was kind of doing my, oh, there's a hole in my filmography right. of Lynch and I better kind of watch the ones that I've never seen before. Yeah. Uh, and I remember, all I remember th- from the first time is that it fucked me up. Right. And then it made me feel really bad. <laughs> it made me feel really gross. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think I've seen it. I must have seen it three or four times. There was a time we watched it together yeah. a couple of, maybe a year ago. Yeah. Uh, it was like in a, a mid year, yeah, ten years ten ago. Years, years, who knows? hundred years. Who yeah. the fuck knows? Uh, and then, yeah. It, it, but I wonder, because w- when we had our uh, Blue Velvet conversation, I, I was talking about how that only stuck the last time I watched it, which right. must have been time five. Right. So it could be the same with this one. Yeah. Where it's just, you know, because it is a very specific, it's not just one specific mood, it's two specific moods that I think you have to be in to really lock in with this. Yeah. Because the tonal shift an hour in yeah. takes you in a completely different direction. And I yeah. think um, for me, um, I always seem to resonate a lot with the first 50 minutes right. and the last... 20 minutes. Right. And then it's the Balthazar Getty sequence in the middle that I kind of don't check out of, but I just, I'm, you know, I, I feel like I'm internally spinning my wheels a bit. Right, right. Yeah. yeah it's, um, well, de- depending on what your interpretation of the film is, yeah. uh, I, I probably, 
you know, I guess the the the, the bookends are the relatable parts, and the <laughs> do you know what I mean? Well, I know, but what does but, that but say? do you know what I mean? Oh, no, no, no. Know. But, but I, I think it does. Uh, I think this is an ugly film, and it taps into yeah. the uglier aspects of personality mm. and uh, the things that drive people. Mm-hmm. And the middle part is, you know, it's it's wish fulfillment. Yeah, that yeah slowly crumbles. Yeah, absolutely. Um. You know, as I said, I think this is kind of like the first real horror story of the new millennium. I think it predicts the narcissism that found a new voice through social media and the advancement of technology. Mm-hmm. We have a character who has a successful job and a beautiful wife, but he appears lost in his own head. He's easily manipulated by images and is impotent in his reactions to his fears and his physicality with his wife. Yep. And in the end, he murders his wife. And because he can't cope with reality, he enters a world that he can hide in. But eventually, those original fears follow him down there as well. Yep. And, 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 <laughs> Who hasn't been there? <laughs> yeah. Right. And I think that's what uh, that, uh, that's why I find the, the Pete Dayton side of things really fascinating. Mm. Because I think at that point... Fred Madison has splintered into three men. Right. You know, in his reality. Okay, so the third one is either the gross little goblin. So or, it's, it's, um, Pete, it's Pete Dayton, uh, the mystery man, the mystery man, and Mr. Eddie. I think yeah. Mr. Oh, Mr. But, Eddie. But yeah. I think Mr. Eddie, who is... I, I, it's a hard movie to kind of go through in a yeah, linear yeah, yeah, way yeah, to course, discuss. Of course, yeah. But my theory is that uh, Fred Madison does murder Dick Laurent. And I think he does murder his wife. Yeah. And then when he goes down into that next world, it's almost a little bit, uh, for anyone who is having trouble getting their head around it, think of it like Inception. Yeah. Like he goes down into this next kind of safe reality. Yeah, I agree, yeah. But uh, I also think, this is getting a little bit ahead, I don't think we ever start in reality. I think the movie starts already in one reality. Yeah. And then he goes down into another one. And at the end of the film, I'm not sure that he does die in the electric chair. I wonder if he goes down into another further reality. Right. And he just keeps on going further and further down to try and... Different stratas of nightmare. Yeah. Yeah, right. That's interesting. Because, yeah, my interpretation is that he's, like, getting fried in the end. Like, like he might be because yeah. nothing nothing matches up in a linear way with Yeah, Lynch. true. I think he probably is getting fried, but he's still going further and further down or Ooh. as far away as he can. Yeah, it's definitely a movie about... Um, <laughs> Uh, the da- the <laughs> not squaring yourself with your demons yes. is going to fuck you up. Yes. Uh, and uh, yeah, there's a lot of... I, 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 have you ever seen a movie called um, Black Narcissus? Not Black Narcissus. Yeah, Black Narcissus. Black Narcissus? No, I haven't. Great I know film. of it though. Preston, uh, a, uh, a Pressburg and Powell movie. Yep. A movie. It's fantastic. Uh, and it's about nuns in a... Uh, in a in a faraway convent in the east, and that movie is very much about what happens if you don't kind of uh, square yourself with the darker sides of your personality. Right. Uh, right. And uh, you know, I know a lot of people like that. That kind of like that's you know everything's great all the time. And, you know, it's a phrase I use a lot, you know, the, the brighter the photo, the darker the negative. Right. Um, I'm always highly suspicious of people who you know, don't know how to reconcile themselves that they're in a demon or in a grub right. or whatever. Right. Um, you know, and I've noticed, especially in the comedy world, a lot of times when you see the comics that are like, I'm just a nice boy. 
it's like, oh, what, <laughs> you know, yeah. what's going on there? Yeah. As opposed to the people who kind of get on stage and yeah, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, when I first met Stanhope, you know, a lot of people were like, oh, is he is he like a real fucking grot? It's like, no, he's the nicest guy mm. in the world. He gets on stage and he purges all of that filth that's in him. Yeah. It's in you as well. Yeah. Let's let's be serious. It's yeah. not fucking unique to certain people. We all have yeah. stuff in us that is filthy, and you either find a way to. Purge it or come to terms with it, or Grant Morrison says, fuck your demons. Yeah. Um, or they kind of um, hang out in the back of your head yeah. and wreak havoc in really, actually, really dark ways. You know, I had a, I, I totally agree with that. And sometimes, like I was telling you on the phone last night, <laughs> where some random person decided to just be kind of vile towards me on social media, which has been a while since anything like that has happened. And I just did the grown-up thing, which was I just deleted the comment and I blocked them and who gives a shit. But I had a good 30 (laughs) to 40 minutes where I thought about all the vile shit I could have written Mm -hmm. back. And I'm not necessarily saying that this is something to brag about, but because I know the power of words, I knew that I could write some awful vile mm-hmm. things and i sat here while i was eating lunch thinking about all those things and they were awful and they made me laugh and i felt quite calm at the end of it of course because i because you know i might not have fucked my demon but i definitely gave it a handy <laughs> well absolutely and it's allowing it to kind of run through the fields without rolling over and allowing yeah. it you know it's the adult thing to do yeah you know there's a you know i've always been able to decimate someone through you know it was just a defense mechanism i learned at a very young age i was very overweight i yeah. had a giant target on me yeah people were not shy you know you fit shit yeah or whatever and so i couldn't physically defend myself and the only and i and i'm not a kind of wilting violet yeah so i learned to be able to find someone's foundation screw very fucking easily and yeah. just twist it and watch them fall to pieces yeah and came to an age where it was like that is a diabolical power and that should not be deployed lightly. Yeah. That's like kind of, you know, salting the earth time. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I spent most of my adolescence doing that, just fucking ruining people. Yeah. You know, and going for like really, really low blows. Yeah. Um, but in my mind, it was like, well, you're going for my most vulnerable spot. So maybe if you've got a dead dad, well, I'll go for that. Right, <laughs> you know, right. Well, fuck it, man. I mean, it's, yeah, you know, yeah. you, you really forget adolescence yeah. is a, it's survival mode. Yeah. Um, and, you know, coming to an age where you kind of go, you know what? It's kind of a much more evolved place to go. I could destroy you. Yeah. And I know I could destroy you, but, I choose a. I choose not to, and and b. I choose not to even tell you that I could. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like it's it, it, it's it, it's. It, I think it begins as a kind of like, oh, I'm better than you, and eventually kind of just turns into a much calmer kind of like, uh, just yeah. No, okay, well, well, there's a there's a there's a difference between engaging with these demons mm. and embracing them yes and you don't want to embrace them and that would be embracing it was like uh yeah. once again i think i told you this last night but i was working with a comedian on the during the week he's a very nice man and very sincere but he just kept obsessing about my hair mm. just kept banging on about it and then at one point said when did you know you were thinning on top and before i could sort of say oh you know i've had a i've had a high forehead all my life because of a cowlick and blah 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 
kind of did a oh, just in case you didn't know, you do know that, don't you? Oh, and and it. I just was like, I just kind of made a joke out of it and just sort of said, oh, you you know now you're being rude. Mm. Like before it was fine, but now you're being rude. And he made a couple more comments, and I just kind of let it go. But in my head, I was looking at him and thinking. Well, how about when did you find out when you realised that that one tooth that you have in front of your face could open a can of spinach? <laughs> like, I didn't say that. Yeah, 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 of but course. I, th- I thought of all the things that I could have said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, all the things I could have said would have been actually really cruel. Absolutely. Because, because to do so would have been, you know, embracing those demons. But instead I had that thought, flitter across my lobe, had a little moment in my head of going, hammer, and then moved on. <laughs> Yeah, and I think it's also the acknowledgement of kind of the, the you know, I, I I've I've been there. I've been that guy that yeah. kind of makes those little digs. Yeah. Uh, you know, and and if you're truly honest with yourself, you realise when 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 you are that person, it, it's not coming from any place that's good. You no, f- no, you fucking hate yourself. Yeah. And yeah. and I think there's a there's a there's a sense of grace and mercy that comes from not tearing that guy's larynx out and kind of acknowledging internally, like, oh, you must be in a very dark and grim place yes. to even go there. Yes. Like, it, and yeah. he is. And yeah, I, of and, I, he is. And, I'm not, and I'm not saying that as some kind of passive-aggressive no. uh, rehabilitation of where I am in that conversation. Mm. That is actually yeah. a fact. And so, it, it, you know, there's the kind of... Um, you know, it's yeah, like I say, there's there's the kind of a sense of mercy of like, yo, sure, I could fucking ruin you, but, but like, it's like kicking a fucking geriatric old man down a flight of stairs. Yeah. Like, what's the? What, am I a great hero for doing that? Probably yeah. not. Yeah. Well, depends on who that old yeah, man well, is. But if it's Rupert Murdoch, fucking yeah, yeah. <laughs> then 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 you are a hero. Then, then you are a hero. Um. So so yeah. So it's it's interesting. I I I can't really. Remember too often that a movie's credits have plugged right into my mm. psyche, and and I've gone, okay, I'm all in. I'm uh, the ride. The Lost Highway is a perfect start for the movie. We are plunged into darkness, racing along with only a small section of the road illuminated by the lights. The single street lines rush past, but there doesn't appear to be any discernible beginning or end, and mm. it's kind of perfect that we return to this place in mm. the end as well. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I heard... I think it's uh, Zizek uh, described this film as a Mobius strip. Yes, yes. I've got some stuff on that yeah, and, uh, yeah. to explain that. But yeah, it, it kind of turns in on itself. And that's what makes me wonder if... Even as he's frying, you know, he's now on the run from the cops. Like, is he about to transform mm. again to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, some some kind of Brad Pitt lookalike, you know, <laughs> taken out the cops. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, just stuck in that, just stuck in the endless loop of, you know, self-flagellation. Yeah. Fucking not not reconciling yourself with yourself. Yeah. Again, <laughs> who hasn't been there? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, from the get-go, we see Fred Madison, uh, played by Bill Pullman, who's very good mm. in this film, like extremely good. Yeah. Uh, he approaches the day from the shadows. Uh, so it's, mm. he's almost like the Lost Highway itself. He already looks broken uh, when the movie begins and the buzzer at the front door sounds and he hears a voice tell him, Dick Laurent is dead. You then faintly hear cars and a siren, but when he looks out, there's nothing happening on the street. Uh, what do you do if you're presented with a voice telling you something like that? Uh, like, I think I would go into a paranoid death spiral. Like, the, 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 it's so it's so creepy to just 
hear a voice tell you someone is dead and it's like but i don't even really yeah, yeah, know yeah. what it's tapping into exactly other than it's creepy many years ago many years ago more than 10 years ago my mum uh rang me kind of freaked out going two guys just came to the house this is i, I was briefly living with her in my grandparents house before she sold it after they passed uh and two guys came to the door and said and apparently in quite menacing tones said is benny home and she was like no and they went okay we'll be back later oh wow and just left and she rang me going, what the fuck? And that situation has never been resolved. I have no idea who those two people were. Right. I can't think that they were friends because why would they be so ominous and menacing? Right. But, you know, I mean, I was smoking a lot of weed back then. So, it was, you know, prime fucking yeah. <laughs> prime soil for a paranoid right. delusion. Right. But it was, um, it was fucking terrifying because it was yeah. like, are they cops? Are they yeah. like, what the fuck is that? Right. Are they coming back? Are, was, they, are they two friends that are so high that they're not yeah. meaning to be menacing? They're just Yeah, they're too paranoid. High. Oh, we're talking to Ben's mum. <laughs> yeah. But it, yeah, it was like really, really That's terrifying. Gross. That's um, uh. The only I haven't had I don't think I've had anything like that. I think I've had I've had people tell me stories about me that I just know aren't true. Mm. I've had that where they say, Oh yeah, and then you did this, this and this and you go, I've never done that. Yeah. You know. Yeah, like yeah. and I can't I can't think of the story specifically, but it, it's almost like, and then you drove the car backwards, and it's like, I don't drive. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> but that, that kind of disconnect where you're going, ah, oh, okay. But, uh, what, but, but, but is, the, is the anxiety within that other, that they're lying or that you went into some kind of fugue state and did behave in a way that's incongruent with how you would normally behave? No, I think it's, uh, I, I think it's more the worry of, not the worry, but the... Uh, discombobulation of like these they were they were never uh they were never awful stories mm. they were always innocuous mm. but it's just like that never happened yeah. you know that kind of thing that yeah. just never yeah. I, like i just know that never happened yeah. you know stuff with people oh they oh, it's so funny when you said blah 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 to that person it's like oh i i actually no, for a fact, I don't like that person and i <laughs> don't really have much to do with them and there's no way I said something that funny to them. This happens to me all the time. Yeah. People are like, in comedy all the time. People are like, oh, do you yeah. remember when you do that thing? It's yeah. Like, I just have to chalk it up to I was a drug addict for 20 years. I don't remember anything. But, but, <laughs> but, I, but I, think, I think sometimes, you know, stories get amalgamated or get mis, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. misremembered. Uh, misremembered. Um, you know, Fred having the cigarette, by the way, is it did make me wonder on this watch if this is him having his last cigarette before being taken to... The electric chair, oh, yeah. you know. So, the lost highway has already begun. We're already plunged into darkness. The dream within the dream has already started. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. he's already telling himself that Dick Laurent is dead. Yes. You know, it's part of the telling himself what's actually gone down. I think I, it, it, there's an image that really struck struck me this time. It's a little bit out of order, but uh, just while I remember it, there's an uh, there's that that fucking terrifying scene where he disappears into the shadows of that yes. hallway. Oh, yes. So, it's funny that you say that. And by the way, this is... I'm guessing with this podcast we are going to be bouncing back and forth because it's yeah. it, it works like that. But I've got here, Fred is constantly appearing from the shadows like a half-remembered dream. Uh, there's a point early on, like, and all of that is... it's Once again, it is, uh, you know... Uh, 
Oh, no, you haven't seen it. Uh, but, you know, there's movies that feel like memories and this feels yeah. this feels like uh, memories and dreams mingled. You know, that weird, yes. you're dreaming of something that happened, but there's a few things that are incorrect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're wearing a pink shirt. You'd yeah. never wear a pink shirt. Yeah. The gig is exactly how you remember it, but it's at a daytime uni gig when it actually happened at a club, you know, yeah, that kind yeah, of yeah, thing. Yeah, 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 so yeah. That, that's kind of what it feels like all the way through. Yeah, absolutely. And there's that, like, that, that, that image is so awful because it's not a, like there's a moment where he disappears into the shadows, into this impossible dark hallway that couldn't possibly exist in a, yeah. in a house. Uh, but when he emerges, you know, the, the, the imagery that we're used to of someone emerging from the shadows is emerging into the light. And all, he emerges, but he just emerges into more shadow. Yeah. Like there's, a, there's an image of him coming out of the darkness yeah. and then walking directly into the camera to black it out into more yeah. darkness. And it's just, again, keeping with this kind of uh, idea of loops and Mobius strips and stuff. Yeah. That there's no escaping this uh, these shadows. And uh, once again, you know, the more we talk about this, like the, I, I feel like there's not... Like, I, I feel like it's one of those movies where they... The writers feel like Fred Madison deserves everything he gets. Oh, yeah. you, know, you know, it's yeah. not Laura Palmer. It's not. It's not even uh, Jeffrey in Blue Velvet. Yeah, it's yeah, definitely yeah. not Lulu and Sailor. Yeah. It's not the Elephant Man. You know, this is this is a bad guy who's allowed himself to be consumed, and he yeah. has to pay. Well, yeah, and unlike all those characters, again, his defining feature is his inability to come to terms with himself. Yeah. Yeah, and so there's a, there's a point early on it, uh, just after all these uh, walking in and out of shadows, where he has that really stilted conversation with his wife, and she Ugh. tells him that she married him because he used to make her laugh. Uh, that feels like a really important piece of dialogue, because they do not look like a couple who have laughed for a long time. Or ever. <laughs> well, uh, like, you know, he was probably... Um, you know, a crazy jazz musician who yeah. was heaps of fun. Yeah. And he's met this woman who... This is kind of the backstory that I yeah. created while watching it this time. And he's met Renee, who is stunning mm. and probably a lot of fun as well. And then as the marriage has worn on, he's become more and more possessive. And that's kind of where I think uh, Mr. Reddy is that yeah, part sure. of his personality in the in the Pete Dayton universe. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Pete Dayton is the virile, you know, mm. oh, look at me just banging heaps of girls. And yeah, then yeah, uh, yeah. there's Mr. Eddie, I'd want to fucking possess her. Yeah. And then there's the mystery man who says, you need to reconcile all this shit and I'm going to f- keep filming it because you don't want to remember, you want to remember it the way you want to remember it, but I'm just going to keep showing you this is how it is. Mm. And I think... Alice and Sheila are the two bits of Renee. Like, he split Renee. I think yeah, Renee right. is... So, there is uh, Sheila, who is the... Because the, they have the same nail polish. So, uh-huh. she's the very sweet, innocent, fun, beautiful girl that's totally into him. And Alice is everything he feels like he deserves. Yeah. And and, and keeping with that kind of, like, neo-noir, femme fatale yeah. uh, trope. Yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, like it's borderline. Like once again, we're all over the place, but it's borderline hilarious when, uh, when she first appears and you hear Lou Reed. Oh dun, yeah, dun, yeah, dun, yeah, Like it's so. <laughs> Most of the music cues in this are fucking hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Ramstein. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> once you enter the Peter Dayton world, it's uh, suddenly he's you know he's into <laughs> music of the nineties. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um. So when we see Fred playing saxophone, uh. 
little understatement for you. It's intense. <laughs> little hammo fact, that's the exact noise in my head when I get stuck with someone who is blowing their own horn. <laughs> And I'm just sitting there. Going, oh I remember God. us losing our minds laughing the last time we watched this together. Yeah, it's During really, <laughs> it's a really funny scene. Well, also this time, I mean, I knew it was coming, but I forgot how jarring it is, and I literally yeah. jumped when it happened. Yeah, because it's so fucking cavernous and silent just before that yeah. moment. It's awful. Yeah, and then yeah, <laughs> and it's like man, like, and my first reaction was. What does the rest of his band think? Like, are they, are they into this or are they going, fuck, here goes Fred again? Jesus. It reminds me of a musician. Have you ever heard um, Colin Stetson? Oh, I know the name. He's fucking great. Right. He, uh, he plays a, I think it's a sax. Right. Uh, it is a sax, yeah. But he, he's got a very interesting way of playing. It's like, um, fuck, what's the guy from Primus? Uh, le, 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 Les Claypool. Uh, he's, he invented this kind of like thwacking right. of the bass strings. So yep. it's, it's like a bass, but it's like, what is going on? Right. Uh, and Colin Stetson does a similar thing with his sax where he turns it into a percussion instrument. Oh, right. It's right. crazy. Yep. So it's like a horn, but it's also a drum. Yeah. It's nutty. Great. It's awesome. Colin Stetson, listen to some of his, some of his music. It's very yeah. much like Fred in Lost Highway. Yeah, Fred. It's like, Jesus, mate. Um, God, if you ever start seeing me do the equivalent of stand-up like that, you'll go, nah, Hamo's impotent. Um, so uh, he rings home, but there's no answer. Yet when he arrives home, Renee is asleep. Mm. And uh, feels like the, the this might be the, the beginning of the... like. I think the jealousy's been there for a while, but this feels like the moment where it's starting to yeah. lead to the murder. Be malignant. Yeah, you yeah. know, like, like even the way... Even in that early conversation read like he just yeah, yeah it's yeah. so kind of dismissive that you read you know it's like you're not fitting my image and that's oh that's how you read that that's how i read it. how uh, did you read it i read it as like the utter disbelief like like that's what you're coming up with read Right. While you go off and fuck someone else. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, so we're agreeing. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, right. yeah, 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 yeah. And, but uh, but there's a possibility that she did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think all of that stuff is definitely his subjective interpretation. Like, even the intensity of how loud the phone is ringing. Yes. How could anyone sleep through that? Yes. It's so fucking loud. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm guessing she's fucking... You know, it's America. She's on some fucking painkillers and not mm-hmm. dealing with any of this, and she is zonked. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, she is fucking someone, and, you know, he's got to fucking deal with that in a way that's not... <laughs> Murder. <laughs> that's it. You know, it is open to interpretation. My, my, Once again, <laughs> as with all of David Lynch's films, the interpretation of this film is this interpretation. Yeah. And, you know, who knows what it will be the next time. Absolutely. Uh Bill Pullman is great as Fred Madison. Uh, I have a distinct feeling that, uh, as I've said earlier, that Lynch has less affection for Fred as he is filled with jealousy, like when he sees his wife leaving the club with strange men. He is no longer fun. Mm-hmm. And when they make love, it feels like this is the latest impotent sex romp she's had to endure. The pat on the back. Oh, it's horrific. Oh, my God. It's horrific. There, there. Oh, my God. <laughs> like. Well, it's that interesting thing that he's also stuck in that cycle again that you know if, if we're all honest with ourselves we've been in where you're you become the self-fulfilling prophecy of what you fear you are the most yes so you fear that you are undesirable and tedious to be around and so all of your behavior becomes tedious, tedious and, and unbearable to be around yeah uh 
I have a friend who this is happening with at the moment. Yeah, you know? I'm right here. Uh, yeah. You can just bring it up. It's okay. You can you can you can address me. <laughs> I, I've, to, I've told you about this. Friend yeah, no, I'm I know. Mike, but yeah, that's he, why I felt confident about making that joke. <laughs> but he's, uh, you know, like he believes this about himself, and so it's manifesting into reality. It's yeah. just like, oh fucking god, man. Yeah, you know, like I get it. You feel sad, but you know what's fucking a bummer to hang around with day in day out. Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. Yeah. Or fucking Scrooge from A Christmas Carol. Yeah. I get it. Like, yeah. fuck, dude. It's 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 very... And, you know, it's a, I've been there too. It's a horrific cycle because, you you know, it's mixed up in, you know, an element of self-flagellation. Yeah. Of, like, this is all I deserve. I don't deserve to be seen in any other way. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and also a kind of sadistic testing of the people... Who love you. Yeah. You know, oh, you love me, do you? You love me? Yeah. Well, how much do you love me? Yeah. How much are you willing to put up with? Yeah. It's, it's uh, horrific. That, that's why if I'm ever in one of those spirals, uh, I try to take myself off the board. Self-quarantine, baby. I've yeah. done it many times in my fucking life. Yeah. I'm out of the mix for a few weeks. Yeah. Because I know I am tedious to be around. And it's funny, like sometimes if you're honest about it, people will say, hey, look after yourself. And it's like, I am looking mm-hmm. after myself by also... Uh, making sure that I deal with this, but also I'm looking after everyone around me by yeah. meaning that they don't have to deal with this. Well, I'm looking after myself, my future self in that I'm not poisoning all my relationships yeah. so that they actually are there for when I cycle out of this and I yeah. haven't burnt all my goodwill. Yeah. Well, Jeez. Why don't people give us accolades for <laughs> knowing when to take ourselves again, out of the game? That, again, it's just that thing of, of, of being honest... With your demons or being honest with where you're at, you know, like, fuck, man. Yeah. Everyone's tedious to be around sometimes. Yeah. And I'm not saying that, like, oh, if you're you're in a bad place, don't reach out for help or anything like that. that. I feel like that's a different thing. Like, when you need need something, you should reach out. But then there's just times when you just know that you're a bit off. There's a few things irritating you that, Hmm. like, you know, it was... uh, you know, like I've talked about on this podcast, the first couple of months of this year were mm. a lot. Mm. Like, there was so much going on around me and there would be just little periods of time where I'd be like, you know what, I'm just going to put away the phone and I'm going to just uh, do some things like, uh, you know, watch basketball. I'm mm. just going to watch mm. basketball. Mm. I'm going to listen to some music. Mm. I'm going to get some exercise. And that was me moving through all of that. Mm. And then once I was out the other side, it was like, great. Now I'm good because I know that there is nothing that anyone can really help me with in this situation because there's only a couple of there's only a couple of ways to go with it. It's either someone says the obvious, oh well you know it's because of everything around you and then you have to either be a grown up and say yes no I get that or you have to suppress the bit of you that goes or or there's, or there's the person who tries to rationalise it for you. Hey, you got to see it from their point of view. Yeah. That's like, but I am seeing it from their yeah, point yeah, of yeah, view. Yeah, yeah. But I'm just burnt out at the moment. Yeah, that's right. So, and I can't. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm feeling malignant. And it's like, it, it's, you know, there's plenty of times I've been in that place where it's like, I know that I'm being irrationally spiteful or malicious yeah. or whatever. And that's just something I got to fucking see myself through. Yeah. But in lieu of being the guy who just 
comes out and shits in the punch bowl and yeah. is a suck hole of fucking energy. Yeah. Or, you know, just is contrarian for the sake of it. And, yeah. you know, someone's talking about something they love. Well, I don't like that. Okay, cool. Like, wasn't, yeah. wasn't really fielding opinions. I was just expressing that I like that yeah. thing. Like, I, I don't, you're not really, it's like playing tennis with a fucking curtain. There's yeah. no, there's nowhere to go with that. I don't yeah. know. Like, I would rather just take myself out of the mix and not be that guy. And I'll deal with it. Mm-hmm. That's how I felt about Moon Knight. I was going to cover it on the podcast. Mm. I got two episodes in. Don't like it? People are loving it. And you don't like it? It's not for me. Yeah. That's how I feel about the whole fucking... (laughs) That's how I feel about 99% of the culture. Yeah. Not for me. Yep. (laughs) Shame too. Oscar Isaac, like, doing a superb acting Mm. job in it. But... uh, That's right. There's heaps out there. There's there's heaps of other things that I like. Yep. Like, heaps of things. Like, there's so much... On at the moment that it's I'm great. loving and Better Call Saul's about to come back and anyway, uh, getting back to the uh, so so Renee has to deal with Fred just doing four awkward pumps and then has to pat him on the back and just say you know like that at that point Fred should just say look I'm moving out because you deserve a lot better. Uh, so he's not even trying to be a good lover. No, it's awful. Like there, that's the thing. It's you like know, pump, pump. Dick yeah. in hole pump. Oh, come uh, on, buddy! Like, try something else. Sad. Although, again, like you know, fuck. Mate, put put <laughs> put the same amount of effort into your lovemaking that you do into filleting your fucking saxophone, <laughs> right? Do you know what I mean? Anyway, but it's here that he shares his mysterious dream where she is being attacked, but he can't find her, and when he does, it he, he's confused. It isn't her, and that's when the mystery man's face first appears. <laughs> Such a grotty scene, and. Um, so this, once again, because of the Mobius strip nature of this movie, I'm curious to know if you agree with this. Mm. I, You know when he meets the mystery man later and he at says... party. Yeah, and he says, I met you. <laughs> you, you know, we met at the house. Uh, you invited me into the house. Mm. This is to me when he invites him in. Right. When he sees the mystery man's face. Yeah, I sure. think that's when he invites him in. Sure. And that's when he meets, that's actually when he met him. Okay. And yeah, this yeah, is, yeah. And this is and this is the the first layer of dream where that he's entered, where it's starting to fray. Right. Like because he's you know he's gone. He's already created this. Oh, I was told that Dick Laurent was dead, and he probably uh-huh, uh-huh. before the movie started. I think he's probably killed Dick Laurent and then murdered his wife. Oh right. And okay. I think he's killed yeah, sure. Andy as well. Right. Okay. I think he's. I think he's been on a fucking murder. Yeah, murder, murder spree. spree. Yeah, no, I, I definitely think he's been on a murder spree. For me, the 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 the. Um, the the whatever that little man is, he's just the mystery man. The mystery man, that to me is like it. it it's it's the dark thought that you incept yourself with. Yeah, you know how like you know because it's real. It's you know that that's a big thing in demonology that the demon cannot enter your house unless it's invited in. Right. The same with this like folklore of uh, vampires. Vampires, same thing. You have to, you have to invite it in. But I, but for me, that's always been a metaphor for, uh, look, look, I know that the demons that have fucked me up the hardest. Yeah. It's because I've left the back of my skull open. Right. And I've invited them in. Right. Uh, And, and whether it's through like a, let's, let's see what happens if I let that guy in. (laughs) Or if it's just a kind of, uh, I loathe myself so much. Let's fucking let that guy fucking run rampant through my brain. Yeah, uh, it's it sounds like some kind of controlled schizophrenia, but I think everyone knows what I mean by this. Yeah, where it's that kind of 
you know, like a, 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 an errant thought or a dark thought flits through, and instead of just going, "Oh, okay, thank you," that yeah. was, that's an interesting, <laughs> that, that's an interesting hypothesis. Yeah, you kind of go, "Oh, let's glom onto that," yeah. and you know, uh, let that come to the forefront. And um, so that's that that scene. I think that's the most terrifying scene in any Lynch movie ever. Right. That fucks me up. That, Sorry, that, the, the, at party, the party. The part, that yeah. fucks me up so fucking yeah. hard. And I think because of that, I, I, I relate to it on a metaphorical level uh, in a very profound way. That that gross guy just yeah. like, what are you talking about? You invited me in. Yeah. I'm, I'm at your house right now. Yeah. Because <laughs> to me, the house is the inside of his head. Yes, I'm yes. on the I'm in the inside of your head yeah. right now. That's you invited why, me in. That's why when he gets there, when they return yeah. after the party, they, he's, he there's already shadows moving. He's already there. there. Yeah. He's in there. He, yeah. You know, and he, he lives there now. Yeah, uh, it's horrifying. Yeah, yeah. It, it <laughs> it's uh, it's a hell of a scene. Yeah, and it is um, you know, I, I doing research for this, I read some criticisms of. Uh, and once again, some pretty strong criticisms of this film, and one of them was that the um, uh, people complained about the phone, like the phone took them out of the movie because it was like uh, you know for at the time it was too modern a flourish for uh, where it was. But to me, if this film if if this film already starts within a dream, that's exactly what I'm talking about yeah. with. That you know, took them out of the movie. <laughs> oh yeah, no, no, but as as a, as a neo noir oh, concept, okay, right, yeah. Right, right, yeah. But it, but that to me is missing the point of like the guys in kabuki makeup mm, mm. handing over a mobile phone, mm. like that. That is deliberately anachronistic. Yeah, you know, yeah, that's, yeah, 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 and that's yeah. what makes it otherworldly. Absolutely, and I think I think the other the most disturbing thing about it, and, the, and again, the part that I'm sad to admit that I relate to more than I wish I did, but the. Uh, the malicious glee mm. of that guy mm. is way too relatable. Like, you know, my my anxiety or whatever whatever fucking it is, mm. uh, I th- you know, I've always kind of characterized it as like a Rumpelstiltskin type uh, figure. Yeah. Where, uh, you know... I used to do a bit on stage about how, you know, like my anxiety will, it, 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 when I was younger, it used to manifest predominantly as hypochondria, mm. but it wasn't like the hypochondria of like, oh, I think I'm, it, 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 it was almost like, you know, I, I really understand how people in the middle ages or even these days kind of uh, believed in kind of demonic possession or something, because it, a lot of the time it does feel like an external force. Yeah. You know, because it, it it's it, it seems to have a uh, a presence and a agenda all of its own. Yeah, that is incongruent with what you yourself define yourself as. Yeah, and 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 what that is is that you know we have multitudes in us. Yeah, and there is no one clear agenda. We have the idea of what we think we are, but yeah. there are competing interests. <laughs> um, and this kind of Rumpelstiltskin figure would pop up you know like say i'd be at the cinema and i'd be enjoying a movie brilliant having a great time free of any kind of anxiety or fear and this thing would pop up and it was almost like it would roll a grenade into the room like oh you're having a great time are you well yeah. what if you got cancer <laughs> bye <laughs> like, right you know what i mean and yeah. it was you know and you know i'm i'm very uh, big on really you know uh doubling down and, and studying these parts of your brain that are 
I think that truly is the only way you can have any kind of power over them right. is to really kind of investigate and go, what is, yeah. what are you? Um, but that was what, it doesn't disturb me anymore because I realize it is just a manifestation of self-loathing or self-flagellation or whatever, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, uh, that, that, that part of you that is, feels unworthy and not deserving of peace or security or happiness or whatever it is. It, it is just a manifestation of that. But what really fucked me up when I was first kind of getting to know that side of my brain was that malicious. It was so malicious. Right, right. It was yeah. so fucking yeah, evil. It was, it was really enjoying the it moment. It really yeah. enjoyed it. And then the confrontation comes with, if you accept that it's not an external force, you're not mm. possessed by some kind of demon. There's no mm. ghost in you. It's you. Yeah. <laughs> There's a part of you that is like, fuck you. You having yep. a good time, are you, you piece of shit? Well, yep. here we go. Here we go. You're going to fucking... Now I'm going to give you something to obsess over for the next 30 hours. Yeah. And not just obsess over, but really fucking torture yourself over. Yeah. Um, and again, I think that's one of those things that you... Uh, you know, uh, I, I, if I had never done stand-up comedy, I would think that I was crazy or that I was unique in this. Right. But whenever I talk about this on stage, you can see people in the audience going, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. or, you know, people yep. laughing way too loud and way too hard at something yep. that seems very specific. Yeah. And it's like, oh, okay, well, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. I think if you weren't aware of those voices, I think that's they're possibly the people who have gone the craziest through lockdown. That is, I hundred percent agree. That is the that was the torture of lockdown for most people. It wasn't mm. that they were bored, or that they couldn't go out. It was they were left alone with their own thoughts for way too long, and mm. they had what were hearing the caucus kicking off, and before they'd been able to distract themselves very easily. And all of a sudden, they could. You know, I remember the the photos of Paris Hilton when she went to jail, fucking whenever it was, fifteen years ago, uh, and she was like howling and weeping and everything and I remember at the time saying to people she's not crying because she's going to jail she's crying because she's got to spend 30 days locked in her own fucking skull yeah and all and there's no distractions anymore there's no fucking things to buy or yeah. people fawning over her it's just her yeah and that is terrifying yeah because here we go it's the little man going hey I've always been here I live yeah. in your house I live in yeah. your head <laughs> yeah <laughs> call me now yeah I'm happy to um, have a little chat and I, and I feel as though, you know, a lot of people lock that guy in a box and hope yep. that they'll, you know, outrun, outrun the clock before yep. the bo box ever bursts open. Yep. Hopefully I'll die before I ever have to deal with that guy. Uh, but I think in the main, most people have a day where yep. he shows up at the party and goes, hi, yep. <laughs> yep. I'm in your house right now. You know, uh, <laughs> by the time this comes out, this will be old news, but this is, um, you know, if if we went and looked at that Oscars footage and if we saw on yep. the right-hand side was yep. the mystery man sitting there 100%. going, you're about to achieve everything you wanted to achieve, Will yep. Smith. You know what you should do? Go and slap him. Yep, do you, it. You'd go, yep. Tear your fucking life. You know how you spent three decades yep. stage managing every fucking moment of your life? Yep. Burn it down, brother. Do it. Do it. Do it. Yeah, no, absolutely. The truth Myst will set you free. Yeah. Mystery Man was in Will Smith's fucking head when yeah. he did that. Yeah. And 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 you know what? Took great delight in it. Yes. Loved Took it. great delight in it. Yeah. And is probably still taking great delight in it. Yeah. You know, as Will Smith... I mean, I can't imagine Will Smith's doing anything other than fucking rocking back and forth, staring into the middle distance right now, going, what did I do? What did I do? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. You know, wishing for that thing that we've all wished for in moments where, you know, I wish that fucking universal remote control existed. If I could just rewind yeah. reality 15 seconds, yeah. it'd all be different. Yeah. Um, 
But I guarantee, I can't guarantee, but I would be, I would confidently place a large bet on the fact that there is a segment of his brain right now going, <laughs> yeah, look what, look what we did. Yeah. Burn yeah. it down, brother. The, uh, the opening 15 minutes of this film seems to have little structure. They, they kind of play out a little bit like scenes that have been written and then mm-hmm. moved around on a whim. Yeah. Uh, because I, I don't know about you, I have no idea from the beginning of the movie to the moment that he wakes up and the cops have, you know, uh, beating him up trying to get a confession of murder. Yeah. I honestly can't work out if that's days, weeks or months. Like, I, yeah, I, have, no. I have no idea. Once, I don't think he even knows. Yeah, and once again, plays into that dreamlike structure yeah. of uh, the uh, movie. Um I've been loving Patricia Arquette in Severance, and it's great to go back and watch her as this. Uh, what, what do you think of Patricia Arquette? You a fan of her work? I don't really know her work, to be honest. Right. Uh, what else has she been in? True Romance. Uh, oh, that's right. True Romance. Somebody, I only watched True Romance for the first time about a year ago. Oh, really? Yeah, I didn't... Mm. You, you, you might have missed the Zeke guys. I missed on the that. zeitgeist on yeah, it. Yeah, that, it was... that came out... Uh, I feel like I saw that... I could be wrong. Don't aggregate me. But I feel like I saw that after when Reservoir Dogs came out. Right. So really, had early I seen on. it at the time, I think I would watch it now with great uh, affection. But I was kind of like, yeah, okay. But you know, it was like you didn't quite really know Brad Pitt that uh, well yeah, at that yeah, point. Yeah, so yeah. when he turned up, you're like, oh, that's that Brad Pitt guy. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. then that that character of Floyd has been weirdly influential to the extent that. That's who James Franco based his character on the Pineapple in Express. Spring Breakers. Oh, and Spring Breakers, I would say. Yeah. So, yeah, do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's kind of weirdly... Yeah, sure, sure. Absorbed. So, she, uh, so Boyhood. Romance, boy, I haven't seen Boyhood. Oh. Um, yeah, Boyhood's lovely. Yeah, right. No, no, she's uh, she's fantastic. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, so yeah, once again, well, I said this earlier, I think Renee is the real person. And I think Alice is the person that his jealousy projects that she might be... And and Alice treats him like he really wants to be treated. He wants to be used. He wants to be set up. He mm. wants to have all of these things to justify his actions and fears. Yeah, again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Burn my life down. Um, Fred- Can I just say, with that, that one flash of him that you get after he's committed the murder, oh, yeah. and obviously it's like one of the most fucking disturbing frames, of, and thank God it is only a couple of frames. Uh, oh, yeah. But the look on his face is like something else, man. It's... It's, it's, a, ho- fu- it's fucked up. This is a scary movie. Yeah, it's fucked up. There's so much going on in that expression. Yeah. The pain yeah. in his face yeah. is, like, wretched. Yeah. I I reckon, like, uh, th- there's there's things that I think that I see in that scene, but I've never... I've never paused. Oh, I've no, no, no. no. I, was t- I was tempted to like... So was I. And I was like, you know what? I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm pretty sure she's in half in that... Frame. I have that feeling too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Fred begins to receive the videotapes of his home, grainy VHS footage of the exterior, then the interior, when the police investigates and ask if he owns a video camera. He tells the cops he doesn't like them because he likes to remember things his own way. Mm. The direct quote, how I remember them, not necessarily how they happen. Mm. Uh, this is... Proof that he is an unreliable narrator and suggests once again that he has already murdered his wife mm. and this is his dream, his memory of what happened. So that's what kind of made me this time. Um, and the only flash of self-awareness that he expresses in the entire piece. Oh, that, that moment? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And the and the video footage is the real world creeping into this dream version that yeah. he's created. Yeah. Uh, so... Uh, 
you know, they attend the house party and this is where memory and the dream intermingle. Uh, so I believe that they did attend a party. Yeah. And uh, Renee was having a great time and he got jealous. Yep. Uh, and this is where the black mystery man arrives and talks like he's come straight from the Black Lodge. He feels mm-hmm. like, you know, if like I'm glad they didn't, but that could have been Bob. It could have been Bob. could have been best friends with that creature behind the diner in Maholland Drive. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which yeah, we will get yeah, to. Yeah. I mean, it, it, yeah, it's 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 part of the uh the dark pantheon of um of um lynch spirits. Yeah. Uh we we don't kind of need to go into this because we've already discussed it, but I uh just for complete sakes that I'd written um He's the dark impulses of Fred and like a vampire must be invited in. As he says, you invited me. It is not my custom to go where I'm not wanted. Mm-hmm. And this is the line that makes me believe that Lynch and Barry Gifford, the other uh, the co-writer, didn't have much affection for Fred. He's a victim of his own devising. That's why he's still in the house even when he's at the party. Mm. They're intertwined once Fred invites him in and he is doomed from that moment on. Uh, he's a bit like Bob in that he's the personification of the evil that men do. Yeah, and I think uh, you know it's it's really interesting. Like I was watching this movie because you know I've great affection for Lynch as a human being, as much as I can know about a guy that I don't actually know. Um, but you know, you watch this movie, and I, it was the first time in ages that I kind of uh, vibed with that cliche of him of like, "Whoa, what the fuck? What the fuck is wrong with you?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, it kind of. You know, I think it. I, I think it really uh, solidifies that point about you know making friends with your demons and the right. fact that, by all accounts, he is the sweetest man. He comes across as just a fucking champion. Yeah, but he's obviously very comfortable with all this dark shit in his head. Yeah, and the fact that he is able to put it on screen and put it in his art and excise it. Yeah, I think allows him to. Uh, be gentle and be, be gentle sweet. and, and yeah. he's he's clearly made peace with. Yeah. This this uh, fucking filth that's inside him. Well, it's uh, once again, it's the uh, people forget that movies they they didn't all have to be feel good. No, like entertainment, like that. That's the difference. Like we we've gone from art to entertainment, and this is art. Yeah, and it's um. Yeah, I, I was I, I, after I did a gig last night, and uh, as I was leaving, one of the comics was like, "What do you go? What do you do when you get home?" And I was like, oh, "I got to watch Lost Lost Highway." And he was like visceral, like I fucking hate Lynch. I hate him. He sucks. And I did, and I said what we often say. I was like, well, I'm not going to push back on that. <laughs> like, that's, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's fair enough. Yeah. Um, but you know, I was like, what's your favorite movie? And he goes, Singing in the Rain. <laughs> and I was like, don't get me wrong, I love Singing in the Rain. It's right. a great movie. Yeah. But that says it a lot made about- sense that you know you don't. Of course, you know you want to watch something that makes you feel. Good. Yeah. And I get that. Yeah. I like watching, watching things that make me feel good. But uh, I also like making things, <laughs> watching things that make me feel like shit. <laughs> yeah. I like to engage in all the feelings. And that's, uh, it, that's my hope of uh, being a, a fully rounded person. Well, again, I just think it's like you can delay and delay and delay. But that yeah. guy's going to show up eventually. And you've either got the, the mental armor to be able to cope with it. Or yeah. he's going to fuck you up. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, that's what art allows you to do. It mm-hmm. allows you to... You know, it's like looking at an Edward Hopper painting and seeing the loneliness that can be conveyed in yeah. the, in the art there. You know, and that allows you to feel those feelings. Or a Francis Bacon painting. Or right. a, I mean, I've, I've, I tell you, I, I read Blood Meridian once a year. Yeah, and it I feel great when yeah. I finish that book. Yeah, after reading three hundred 
150 pages of the most horrendous carnage you can possibly put on paper. Yeah. I feel great. Yeah. I don't feel great because I'm like, oh, yeah, how fucking sick is violence? I yeah. feel great because I spent a couple of weeks down in the muck of yeah. the reality of fucking what, how dark humans can be and how yeah. dark society can be and everything. And when I close that book and look up at my life yeah. and contrast it against that, you know what? I feel fucking fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I, I totally relate to that. Um, Back at the home, Fred is convinced that there might be someone there. Once again, he gets lost in his own dark thoughts. Renee calls to him, so it's like the dream, but he is lost. Mm. And when we see the video of him, it's this is the reality of what has happened. And he has gone to town on her. Uh, and, and in such a way that he's not, like, it's not a calculated no. cold murder. It's the murder of frenzy and animal, just yeah. like you went somewhere else. Yeah, I reckon he's gone. I reckon he's gone and killed Andy after the party yep. and shoved him face first into a glass top coffee table. Yep. I think he's gone and found Dick Laurent and taken him out to the desert and blown yep. his brains out. Yeah, And then I think uh, while he's on that fucking bloodlust, he has yep. gone and killed poor Renee. Yes, and I think that's the wretchedness in his face. It's the yeah. it's the it's the it's the expression of a guy that's come out of a fugue. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would see that sometimes when I used to work with dogs, like a, a dog that had um was very damaged. Right. You know, had been abused or whatever. Uh and had just clicked out and like mauled another dog or mauled right. a person or whatever. Uh and then kind of like snap back into like oh right. what did I what did I do right right what the, what, what, like where did I go yeah it was a hor- horrible horrible expression it's very it's a very specific expression yeah yeah and that's what he's got yeah um, Fred is sentenced to die in the electric chair he is locked away on death row he suffers from headaches and see images of the mystery man and a cabin that burns in the middle of the desert uh, what do what do you make of the the cabin do you have an an opinion on what the cabin is in reverse, I think that's him trying to turn back the the, the destruction, right? Yeah, that to me is uh, the mystery man kind of repairing his fractured psyche and trying yeah, to pull yeah, him back yeah, together. That, yeah. That's how I yeah, right. interpreted it this time. Uh, one night, the headache becomes too much, and Fred is confronted by blue flashes, which is probably you know once again he's probably experiencing the electric chair at different points in this yes. story. Uh, and his head splits open. The next day, the jail discovers that Fred has disappeared and been replaced by a young mechanic named Pete Dayton. Um, you know, I, th- I had the question of what is your interpretation of this moment, but we've already uh, covered that. Yeah. Uh, Lynch has used the term psychogenic fugu, which is a rare form of amnesia characterized by extreme disassociation and can sometimes result in the formation of an entirely new identity. Pop quiz question. You get to form an entirely new identity that you get to hide in. What is it? <laughs> um, someone with a less crippling, crippling level of self-awareness. <laughs> we talked about... I mean, funnily enough, we talked about this on the phone last night. Yeah. Uh, just the kind of, um, you know... Like being, the- being someone who might be asked to be on the project? No, no, just the, 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 like, look, I look at some people, I look at some people with a, with less <laughs> self-awareness and, and sometimes have, and I, I sound like I'm being really fucking, I'm so good. Uh, I, I'm not saying that having a lot of self-awareness is necessarily a good thing. I, yeah. I, I think that sometimes 
I have contempt for people who don't do a lot of self-reflection. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of the time it's like, you know what? That'd Like, if you don't have the gland to go there, yeah. maybe it's really nice. Yeah. Maybe yeah. it's just nice. Yeah. I reckon it would be nice. Yeah. All of those people seem pretty happy that work on the project. <laughs> anyway. The... <laughs> Since Fred chooses to <laughs> remember the things the way he, he wants to, uh, this is an interesting. So, uh, by the way, I'd be a basketballer. Oh, of course, you'd be a basketballer. Yeah, I'd be. I'd be a. I'd be a twenty-eight-year-old basketballer who's just just coming into his prime, and probably has a good four or five years of just you know being at the best. Yeah. Of his ability. Yeah. Right. Just before the fucking inevitable spiral. Well, into well it. it is. Well, it is, it, of course, it's. You know, of course, it's going to uh, at some point uh, deteriorate, yep. but I want to be there just as I start to peak. That's where I, I've done the hard work <laughs> and now I'm really on top of my game and my physical attributes are all aligned and I'm having a good time. And it doesn't mean I'm winning championships, but I'm playing the best that I could possibly <laughs> play. And then after those five years, I'd slip into a musician's body. <laughs> I'll just keep going further and further down. Um, saxophonist. Yeah. Um, so, uh, it's interesting that you say you don't really get into Pete, and is that because Pete is just the kind of guy that you grew up with not wanting to know? Because <laughs> he's young, virile, the, the music suddenly becomes a grungy soundtrack, and he's just a Gen Xer who is keen yeah, to get yeah, laid, yeah. really, isn't he? I think also there's like a, an element, and there's, there's, there's a lot of the drift that exists in the first part of the movie, but it's more aimless, which is keeping with Pete. Yeah. And his age and all the rest. Uh, I don't know. I just think, uh, yeah, maybe I just don't relate to him as much. Well, it's also... Or it's a life that I wouldn't necessarily myself choose to escape into if I had done something terrible. Well, it's a very... uh, It's a very simple suburban life. Still lives with his parents. Works as a mechanic. Yeah, yeah, People like him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's interesting. uh, Part of what I like is he... It's... Because it's a created world... Even Fred as Pete kind of can't reconcile it because there isn't any, um, you know, like there's, he doesn't know what happened and everyone kind of alludes to it, but they can't talk about it because to say actually what would happen would be to say, you're not real and yeah. you are creating this life. So there's this yeah, mystery yeah. that surrounds everything. But it's so hard to hold together, you know, uh, hence the, the the terrible headaches. You know, he literally starts hemorrhaging out of his mouth and nose at one point. Yeah. You know, he can't oh, hold it, this fantasy together. He can't hold it together. And at one point he hears that music on the radio. Yeah, 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 yeah. Goes and has to turn it off immediately. Well, it's not just that he turns it off. His eyes are all bloodshot. It's yeah. like, you know, like it's, it's like the mask is cracking and he needs to turn it off. Reality is intruding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I had stuff here about uh, Renee, Alice, and Sheila, but we've already covered that. Uh, and we've also covered what I think of Mr. Eddie, who is so violent and Ugh. extreme. And uh, just, and I, I do, I think that's the, I think they're the impulsive, you know, aggressive, order must be maintained, you know, ownership part of Fred. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying Dick Laurent was that. Like, maybe Dick Laurent 
like, you know, maybe we never really see the real Dick Laurent. Like, maybe Dick Laurent was just someone that Renee was having an affair with and was just some, you know, dude who showed her affection. Just clear my, clear my confusion. Mr. Eddie and Dick Laurent are the same yeah. person. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's what I thought. Uh, yeah, no, uh, he is. He and is. Mr. Eddie is what he projects him to be, but he's doing it through the filter of his own dark impulses. Fuck, man. That line delivery where he rings him up. Oh, yeah. Hey, hey Pete. Hey, Pete. How you going? But that, you fi- good? that final line when he gets back on, he's like, what does he say? I'm, I'm, I'm just really happy to hear that you're okay. And then just yeah. hangs up. And, yeah. <laughs> and like, yeah. it, I mean, Balthazar Getty's reaction to that is perfect. Oh, like, yeah. it's the look of a dead man. Yeah. Oh, you're this fucked. is over. Yep. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. is over. Um, I also don't believe that Renee and Dick Laurent had anything to do with the pornographic world. So that that also is, once again, on this viewing of the film this is uh to me another metaphor for his jealousy like it just can't be that they were um having a having a relationship well she's probably being pornographic with have you ever been that jealous before like have you ever gone in like insane with jealousy um like obviously mentally like where you're fucking concocting crazy fantasies yeah i reckon when i was younger yeah yeah like, uh, <laughs> especially, but more off the back of, um, like, you know, when I discovered, you know, it, it feels funny to talk about it now because it's, it feels like another person. Uh, and, uh, oh my God, I'm projecting myself into this life. Why don't I project myself into a better life? I'm not really here <laughs> at all at the moment. But um, my, you know, like my first proper relationship ended in her cheating on me. And it, But, you know, looking back on it, it's two young people who don't know how to break up. Uh. So who gives a shit? But at the time, the way I found out was... Uh, was through the realization that heaps of other people knew. Oh god. So uh that was that was the bad part of it mm. was uh not being able to hang out with anyone without thinking what did you know? Why didn't you yeah, tell right. me? When when we caught up on this and then you said that were you trying to give me a hint like do you know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah, so yeah, 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 turning yeah, yeah. myself into twists and knots about it back Awful. then. Yeah. Awful. And then uh uh yeah, I reckon that was probably. You feel insane, worst. right? It's yeah. a horrific yeah. feeling. Yeah, jealousy. Yeah, it's awful. Awful. Um, and then I think what happens is, so this is uh, well, th- this might not work for everyone, but my theory is is that because you never want to feel those awful feelings again. Uh, what I've become over time mm-hmm. is uh, quite rational and quite uh, deliberate in any kind of uh, relationships that I've had or could possibly have. But in the process of doing that so you never go through that kind of weird feeling again, the flip side is is that I think I'm kind of less romantic now and I kind of mm-hmm. yeah. don't really, if I'm being truthful believe in ongoing love. I think it is a thing that comes and passes. It can and it can segue into mm. uh, deep affection. Mm-hmm. But I think I think the times of great love and great passion mm. uh and I could be wrong, but mm. I I have a feeling that they are beyond me. Oh, I feel that absolutely. And that is why, you know, I would be reluctant to get into uh 
a relationship specifically while I feel that way because mm. I think it's going to be really awful if someone is feeling those feelings for me and I'm incapable of reciprocating them. Yeah. And, I, and I'm not saying that that is definitively how it's going to be, mm-hmm. but that's how it feels at the moment. Well, I feel at this point it's, you know, maybe when you're young, well, I can only speak for myself, but when I was younger, it was like I was very actively open to it and actively sought it yeah. out. Whereas now it's very much a thing of like, oh, it has to be like a, I'm inexorably swept up in it against my will. Right. And it's just happening. Yeah. And I'm like, whoa, here we go. Rather yeah. than me kind of, you know, I'm setting up a dating profile and all the rest. It's it's just kind of, or, you know, or, or, you know, again, very open to it. It's like, it would have to just kind of be rolling out in a sense of like, you know, oh, I didn't even realize I bought a ticket to this ride, but here we go. Right. Yeah. yeah. Which I, I, I think is probably a more, I don't know if it's a healthier way, but it's definitely, it's definitely stripped back any of that kind of like uh, sense of settling or anything like that. Right. It's kind of like hit a point where it's like, oh, I'm very comfortable with my life as it is. And, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's the idea of like, I would rather be single than in a adequate relationship. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I totally agree. I totally agree. Um, so, uh, anyway, once again, we've already kind of hit what I had here, which was, uh, you know, when Mr. Eddie and the mystery man ring Pete, the, this dream world is really beginning to crumble mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the saxophone on the radio, the lack of exp- explanation in the dream world, like what happened to him with his parents, means he can't remain in this place forever. When the mystery man tells Pete in the East, the Far East, when a person is sentenced to death, they're sent to a place where they can't escape, never knowing when an executioner may step up behind them and fire a bullet into the back of their Mm -hmm. head, which is once again, you know, more proof of the dream within a dream. Um, That one line, though, made me think, did the mystery man deliberately kind of push... Fred into this world like you know is it is he the one who sent him like maybe mm. maybe Fred didn't have a choice in this maybe he was pushed there by this dark impulse to come to terms with what's happening yeah right yeah maybe maybe yeah, I don't know yeah, yeah. but it's such a <laughs> crazy once again terrifying like a terrifying line yeah. that is kind of plain in its language but also, like true of, of uh, you know, true metaphorically of death, right? Yeah, we're all we're all. <laughs> you don't know when you don't know when that guy's going to pull the trigger, mate. You just don't know. <laughs> you don't know. Uh, Alice sets Pete up to help them get away, and the result is that Pete murders Andy, a man that Fred doesn't like. Um, and so, once again, I've, we've already jumped ahead, but you know, we see Andy dead. We see Dick Laurent murdered by Fred. I, I, I think that happened in the real world. I think yes. he murdered both yeah, of them. Yeah, I think we went on a fucking spree, mate. Uh, the final sex scene with Pete is the moment the dream crumbles. He keeps telling her that he wants her, but she whispers, you'll never have me, before disappearing into the cabin. Yeah. It is here that Fred finally accepts who he is and he relives his past. Fred and the mystery man take Dick out into the desert and murder him. He then drives to his home and leaves a message, Dick Laurent is dead. And... You know, maybe this is the moment that he really comes to terms with what's finally occurred. Yeah, and I think that also comes across in the Mystery Man's line, uh, 
I know who I am. Who the fuck are you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Those little bursts of aggression. Uh, yeah. oh, who the fuck are oh, you? Oh, the inside of the cabin as well is great. Oh, that couch with the fucking plastic on it? Yeah, Come on. Yeah, it's awful. <laughs> it's awful. Like, if you found out that the place, you know, the uh, above the convenience store was just above that cabin, yeah. you're like, oh, yeah, so yeah, gross. Yeah. Um, so something that I know is the final drive on the highway is Fred still attempting to escape his demons, but then we see the blue flash. And this is the moment the electric chair fries our hero in inverted mm-hmm. commas. So uh, the question I had was, you know, how many dreams within dreams has Fred lived? <laughs> like, I feel oh, like, yeah. you know, because in the end, Fred is wearing Pete's jacket and driving Mr. Eddie's car. Oh, that's what, right. That's what made okay. me think. Yeah, wow. That's what made me think yeah, uh, yeah, all yeah. three of them are. So, yeah, that's... Fuck me. Dude, I need to... Yeah. Yeah. I'll be rewatching this. So, you know, Fred, the impotent husband who hates his wife, Pete, the virile lover he wishes he could be, and Dick Loren is the persona that tries to own her. And that's then, so uh, fascinating. I never watched this thinking that uh, Mr. Eddie or Dick Laurent could be the same guy. Right, right. That's awesome. I yeah. never thought of that before. Or that the mystery... Yeah, I mean, I kind of the mystery... Or that the mystery man's him as well. Yeah. You know? Well, I think uh, I think you can kind of... Uh, once again, I think it's you can just watch it as a creepy spirit horror yeah, movie yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. I think... Uh, uh, you know, I think the best films are kind of ones that you can, well, I can put this in the real world or I can just be creeped out and oh, this is so cool. a horrible, genuine yeah, yeah, horror yeah. movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so, so I w- had, you know, what do you make of this ending? And I had, in the end, the mystery man helps Fred accept who he really is just before he dies. He must accept his inner self for better or worse. And this is a story about a terrible person who tries to escape his reality, but even in his dream world, he's still a killer and he can't outrun that fact. Mm. And, you know, once again, it's a little bit inception-y. Maybe, maybe that point in the car might be the electric chair zapping him, but it might also be him escaping further down into his subconscious to another place he can hide. Mm-hmm. And who knows what will be waiting for him down there <sighs> because then cause we return to the the opening song in The Lost Highway. Yeah. And it's like, there's no destination. So he is just constantly going to be trying to outrun himself. Yeah, and stuck in a loop. Stuck in a Mobius strip. Yuck. (laughs) You're right. This doesn't have any grace at the end of it, does it? No, no. And it's, it's, you know, it's it's funny to watch this now and uh, think of this, you know, considering the uplifting re-evaluation I have of Twin Peaks and everything yeah, that, yeah, from yeah. our last episode yeah. to get to this where you just walk out and go, some people are awful and deserve everything they get. Yeah, well... Hashtag, <laughs> ouch. But it's... I mean, that's that, that's the truth. Yeah. And, <laughs> and it's interesting that this is the movie that he makes after the lament of, you know, like the failure of Fire Walk With Me. Mm-hmm. Like, this is the movie he makes next. Mm. So, you know, maybe there was a bit of self-loathing. Like, who knows? Like, he, he never gives too much away. But maybe there was some self-loathing. Yeah, maybe. maybe. there was some frustration that he had to work his way through and that's how it comes out. Yeah, and obviously we haven't got to it yet, but I think, I haven't seen it, but from all what I understand of his movie after this, it's a very, very um, sharp right turn away from this point Yeah, the straight line. Yeah, straight story. Uh, straight story, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's just a, hey, did you know that he's got a movie coming out in Cairns? I heard. Yeah. <laughs> so he's just been making a movie. Very excited. Good timing, right? Yeah, man. 
Uh, I've got some squid bits for you. This movie is partly inspired by the O.J. Simpson murder case, Mm -hmm. which involved the arrest of a man who denied the murders. Mm -hmm. In talking about the movie with Vulture in 2018, (laughs) have you heard this quote? Lynch said, I'd heard that O.J. Simpson got off. He went golfing. And I thought, here's a guy who is able to (laughs) compartmentalize. He brutally murders two people, and then he's out smiling, playing golf. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, insane. Oh, man. I, I've been... so That's the most insane part of that whole yeah. story. Yeah. Is OJ's just ability to kind of... I mean, that's the mark of true psychopathy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. That was, um, I've just finished a week at the store and talking about the Will Smith stuff and saying it's all the things afterwards that have been the most fascinating. Oh, yeah. And, you know, OJ putting up a video going, oh, you know, Will Smith shouldn't have done that. And it's like, you know who would be wrapped if you had just slapped them? Yeah. Uh, you're two murder victims, yeah, you man. crazy asshole. Yeah, 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 it's crazy. Because, yeah, I think uh, there's, a, there's a fascinating documentary, The the Look of Silence. Right. Have you heard, uh, have no. you heard of The Act of Killing? No. Oh, really? No. Oh, you want to talk about dark cinema? No, I think Good I do. Good Lord. Um, they're, these t- they're two documentaries about the Indonesian genocides. Um, oh, I have heard of them. Yeah, 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 right. I mean, if you want to go to, if you really want to tour a hell, go watch those movies. They are something else. Act of um, killing. What the was act, the other one? The act of killing and the look of silence. Mm-hmm. Um, so this are um, they are they two different ones or are they? Yeah, no. Well, they're companion pieces. Right. So the uh, so this guy Jeffrey Joshua Oppenheimer, uh, he basically lived in Indonesia for a very long time. He speaks fluent Indonesian, and he. Became very, I can't say close because, but he basically acclimatized himself with the, uh, the 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 men who enacted Indonesian genocide, like full on serial killers. Right, killed thousands of people, millions yeah. of people, uh, and um, he gained their trust. And he filmed two documentaries. One of them, the first one, The Act of Killing, is... So, if you don't know, the, the, the Indonesian genocides happened. And basically what happened there is it's, it would be like if the Nazis won World War Two and yeah. never had to answer for their crimes. And, were yeah. se- and in fact, celebrated as national heroes. Yeah. So, these guys who committed these genocides are the pillars of their community. Yeah. They're on talk shows in Indonesia of like, oh, you invented a new method for killing communists. Yay! Yeah. It's like... It's like upside down land. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, the only time, the only way I got through the act of killing the first time was to pretend it was a dark Chris Morris mockumentary. Right. right. Of like the, because it's weirdly funny. It's fucked up. And so um, Joshua Oppenheimer said to them, because their, their whole modus operandi was, um, we grew up on American gangster films. And so when we were given the opportunity to kill, we enacted what we saw in the movies. Yeah. So it's a great condemnation of American kind of um, colonial pop culture and on and on and on. Uh, And so Joshua Oppenheimer says to them, I will allow you to make a movie and you can recreate your memories of murder in any genre of film you like. And so half the movie is the documentary of them making the movie and then you get to see the movies they make. And it's like crazy musicals and westerns All right. and gangster don't, don't let your friend know who likes the sound of music <laughs> really hurt him. but it's um it's fascinating yeah. and by the end of the movie the main the main guy guy anwar 
it's through watching his depictions of murder that he comes to reconcile and realize what he actually did. Right. And it is very powerful. And then the look of silence is um, from the victim's point of view, where it's one of the, um, uh, it's a man whose family were basically murdered, and he's the town optometrist. Right. And he goes around fitting glasses for the guys who are now very old who committed all these genocides. And it's a fantastic metaphor of, you know, fitting them with glasses to make them see more clearly. Yeah, and yeah, on, yeah. On, on, on. Uh, and you really get to see men who have committed the, the most horrific atrocities and how their brains are compartmentalized this stuff. And you're watching it going, what you did was psychotic, but you're not psychotic because you're clearly, you are fucked up. Like right. you are so, I say all this to, to contrast that with someone like OJ Simpson, who it's like, you're not fucked up at all. Yeah. And I think you really are a, truly a psychopath. Yes. You yes. feel no remorse or guilt or anything. Yeah. And, you, and like Lynch says, you, you've gone back to playing golf. Yeah. This is crazy. Yeah. Sorry, it's a long tangent. No, no, anyway, no, no. You should, no watch, yeah. you should watch The Act of Killing and The Look of Silence. They've, I'll, I'll yeah. bring the Blu-rays over for you. But anyone All listening right. to this should watch those films. Check them out. Because I think that they are, they are essential. You, you cannot look away. Right. To truly understand kind of uh, the depth of what humans can do. And, yeah. and also a, a piece of history that few of us know anything about. Know anything about. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm definitely up for that. Um. Yes, so uh, we've already talked about the psychogenic fugu where you mentally distance yourself uh, from what you've done because otherwise you'd go crazy, which is funny because I think you're already crazy. <laughs> uh, the moment that begins the film with the Dick Laurent is dead over the intercom actually happened to Lynch one night when a stranger left this exact message on the intercom of his home in the Hollywood Hills. Uh, oh, I better make a movie. Um <laughs> Most of us would be ringing around trying to work out what happened. <laughs> Freaking out. Uh, the title of the film is inspired by a line from Barry Gifford's Night People. And the line is, uh, we're just a couple of Apaches riding wild on the Lost Highway. Uh, Lynch thought about adapting one of the novellas from the book and Gifford suggested they do something original. Lynch said, what if a person woke up one day and was a totally different person? It's Kafka, the metamorphosis. Mm. Uh, Gifford said, we realised we didn't want to make something that was linear and that's why the Mobius strip was used as the uh. film structure. Uh, Lynch described the mystery man as an idea of a feeling of a man who, whether real or not, gave the impression that he was supernatural. The feeling of a man. Very nice. That's creepy. Uh, Robert Blake said yes to the movie, even though he didn't understand the script at all. He was responsible for the look and style of his character. Really? Yet when Lynch told him to use your imagination, Blake cut his hair short, parted in the middle, and applied white kabuki makeup on his face. Then he slipped on a black outfit, walked up to Lynch, and Lynch loved it. Of course, <laughs> and shaved his eyebrows. Yeah. No eyebrows. All of it. Yep. Uh, Robert Logier, who played Mr. Eddie, if you remember from our Blue Velvet podcast, mm. he was the one who was meant who thought he had the role of Frank Booth and went nuts. That's right. At, yeah, uh, yeah, Lynch yeah, yeah. and his temper tantrum about not getting the role was the inspiration for the tailgating <laughs> scene. <laughs> oh, I loved the way you went crazy at me, Robert. <laughs> uh, Patricia Arquette had always wanted to work with Lynch and felt very safe with with him, even though she considers herself to be. Uh, very modest and quite shy. So, oh, right, yeah. Uh, there was, uh, uh, like, the scene in in the desert with uh, Balthazar Getty that was a locked-off shot. There was only the people that needed to be there. There were right. always people with 
uh, to cover her up and everything. Um, that scene um, where it's it's funny. There is uh, a lot of misogynistic uh, accusations uh, against this film. Uh, especially the scene where she goes and has the gun pulled on her and uh, oh, you yeah. know, goes from, it's funny, it's kind of goes from Renee to being Alice, mm-hmm. as it were. But it's it's so funny because, like I'm not saying, you know, my interpretation of that scene is, mm-hmm. you know, if it, this is all through the prism of of Fred, I think this is more condemnation of a man than it is of... yeah. But anyway, that's it. Depends on how you. But also, it's the like if the if the woman involved in the scene doesn't think it's misogynistic, then isn't it condescending to accuse it of? Like, is she not? Does she have no agency in her well, own career? Well, you know, yeah, it's um, it's such a such a hard one to get your head around with stuff like that <sighs> as well. Um, you, you know, I remember just because it made you feel a certain way doesn't mean that that is objectively true. Yes, for yes. everyone. For everyone. Yes. Um, the, uh, you know, Patricia Arquette's a pretty strong woman. Yeah. Um, the sequence where Fred transforms into Pete was accomplished with in-camera techniques. They used a fake head covered in artificial brain matter, which was then intercut with images of Pullman. Uh, Lynch originally wanted to film the movie in black and white. Oh, right. And that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, they... thought after the mauling that the Twin Peaks movie got, they were fucking dead in the water if they even tried to release a black and white version. Well, and ironically. <laughs> yeah, but, but maybe it makes even less. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this film was the last movie for Richard Pryor, Jack Nance and Robert Blake. Right. You know, Robert Blake uh, was accused... Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Look, you know what? I won't go into it, but look it up. It's a fucking crazy story. Yeah. And he's still alive. Robert Blake? Yeah. Really? Yeah. I mean, it definitely adds a, uh, a a bit of extra textual fucking creepiness to the whole thing. Yeah, it's a crazy story. Yeah. Like, it, like I I actually had written heaps about it, and then was like, that this is a whole other yeah, podcast yeah, yeah. because it just doesn't quite make sense yeah, either. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Henry Rollins plays the security guard, and that's Marilyn Manson and Twiggy Ramirez in the porn film at yes. the end. Uh, the filming of Fred's house was shot at one of Lynch's properties and most of the furniture belonged to and was designed by Lynch, which makes sense. Because <laughs> there were times in the furniture I'm like going, why is the TV on that weird looking thing? Oh, Lynch designed it. <laughs> yep, fair enough. Okay. Tickety-boo. Uh, Lynch had originally wanted to use this mortal coil song to the siren for Blue Velvet, but couldn't get the rights. Uh, when the film was released in 1997, theatres in Perth, Western Australia, were fined for screening the film on Good Friday. <laughs> that made me laugh a lot. Uh, uh, Trent Reznor produced the soundtrack. Yeah. So this is the start of Reznor's, you know, getting a taste for it. Yeah. Um, Austrian composer Olga Neuwirth adapted the film into an opera. I heard this. I'd love to see that. Yeah, can you imagine? And uh, finally, this is the first of an unofficial trilogy of Lynch films, along with Mulholland Drive and Inland Empire. They're all filmed in Los Angeles and involve a dream state of sorts. I am very excited to get back to Mulholland Drive. Mm. And terrified to open my brain up to Inland Empire. Yeah, you know what? I have not watched... Weirdly, Mulholland Drive is one that, uh, that I've only seen a couple of times even though I loved it it's a fucking masterpiece yeah uh, I just haven't um, so haven't gotten back to it for such a long time and then when when uh, you made the suggestion of doing Lynch I was like 
oh, yeah, great. And then it was like, oh, so long till we get to that film. And we've still got another one to get to before yeah, we get to that. Yeah, yeah. But what I'm excited about with The Straight Story is I've never seen it. Neither. Yeah. Yeah, and apparently it's very wholesome and very sweet. Yeah. I think so, it's a Disney movie. Right. <laughs> well, I look forward to that 20-minute podcast that we record <laughs> afterwards. Thank you to Benjamin for chatting with me about one of my favourite all-time movies. I will never get sick of watching this one. I'm always happy to watch it. I always get something delicious and new out of it. So I hope you enjoyed it too. Uh, Kylie, I hope it won you over. A big shout out to our Patreon supporter, Matthew. If you haven't seen this film before, I hope you enjoyed it. And if you have seen it before, I hope you had fun reacquainting yourself with the film. Uh, If you'd like an episode dedicated to you or have access to bonus podcasts and scripts, etc., head to patreon.com forward slash Justin Hamilton underscore Big Squid and you will find a tier that suits you. If you would like to support the podcast but money is tight and times are pretty tough for a lot of us, so I totally understand, how about a top review at Apple Podcasts or even just suggesting Big Squid to your friends? I'll be back on Thursday with a brand new Beautiful Tales for the Disenchanted. I already told you, but it's a short story called Squeak, and it is a grotty story that feels in keeping with what we've talked about today. I'm wrapped with how this has turned out, and I hope you have a fun time with it too. Let's finish today's episode with a quote from Patricia Arquette. I chose this one because, you know, when you read something, you think, oh, maybe Patricia and I would be friends. I don't know if we would be friends, but uh, I'd love to be friends with Patricia Arquette. Anyway, it's a short quote, but Patricia said, I love small, weird art movies, and I love free mass entertainment. Yes, I feel the same way, Patricia. Call me. Let's watch some movies together. Maybe not Lost Highway, but I'm happy to watch other movies with you. (laughs) All right. Thank you for listening. Until then. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.